this is Laura. And this is Ardeen. And welcome to What Happens After Dark. Yes. Welcome what to a new episode. Yes. Well, and not new, it's the continuation of Creepy of, Highway Killer. Yeah, it is definitely a yes. dark episode coming forth. But I know you guys want the details. I know you do. That's why you listen. (laughs) Yes. You want the creepy crawlies to come forward. You want to hear all the gory details. Yeah. Just like the UFOs and stuff. Oh, my God. What's going on with the UFOs? It's like now they're all shooting down UFOs left and right all over Mm -hmm. the world. Um, Yeah. And then, but I think that they're not like, I think they're more like, like you were saying, the Russian spy stuff and the Chinese spy. I think so because I saw you on Tic Tac and it was like a black sphere. It was just like a ball, you know, on yeah. the sky. It just blew by. And they're saying that's just Russian intelligence trying to pick up on whatever we're doing, taking images, scanning yeah. stuff. So I think that's what it is. Um, so I don't believe they're UFOs. Uh, they did say they shoot two of them mm-hmm. in. Alaska and Lake Huron? Lake, yeah, Lake Huron, yeah. and then over Paris and over the UK. One in UK. Yeah. And so they're in the process of recovering them. Which yeah. I think that's bullshit. They of reco- it is. As soon as they shot them down and went down, they, went they recovered down for it. it. They have it already. They know what it is. They just don't want to tell us, and that's okay. Whatever. Yeah. You know, it's crap that they don't want to tell us what's going on. They should tell us. Now um, it's their control over us exactly. to keep us in the dark Tell us and it's if it's stupid. really Russian. Tell us if it's a UFO and mm-hmm. you're going to investigate and update us. But to bullshit and say we're in the process of trying to get them back, no. Because if they didn't get it back, somebody else would. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's no way. Yeah, as soon as they had them down, they went and got it. So. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I don't believe them that it's in process, but... It's the day and time that we live in. Like, exactly. I mean, we're getting ready. I really believe that they're getting ready to uh, start World War III. And I think attacking Ukraine was kind of like the precursor yeah, the to World War III. Mm-hmm. And it scares me to death. I'd rather get lasered by some alien than biological warfare from Russia or China. Exactly. exactly. I'd rather deal mm-hmm. with aliens because we don't necessarily know if they're good or bad, but... You know, but not not a war, not a third. No, world I think war. World War Three, because now we're talking major nuclear bombs. We're talking and biological weapons. So it's not like the typical missile and gunshots. No, it's, no. This is big time. Yeah, this is different than any other world oh, war yeah. that will that mm-hmm. has taken place. So, Just gosh, pray it doesn't happen. I swear, I'm going to start sending, I think I'm going to start sending Reiki to the, these leaders yes. and just trying to calm them down. Yeah. Calling all Reiki masters, start sending Reiki to yeah, Putin anybody, Any Reiki master in the world at 7 a.m. every day, let's just send them love and light and, yeah. and clouds to their... Any healing brains. modality, heal their mental health. Yeah. It's all mental health. They're so power hungry. And uh-huh. It's that obsession to be the most powerful. Mm-hmm. Who cares? You're powerful enough. Exactly, exactly. Oh my God. It's all about that and it makes me sick to my stomach, so. Oh my God, yeah. It's, I'm just so, we're at an age where, you know, God will be here, I don't know, 20, 30 more years, but then I think about my grandkids yeah. and the great grandkids, what they're gonna endure. This world, I think, is going to be so different by the time, you know, a few generations down. Like, I picture, like, Mad Max. Mm -hmm. You know, like that movie with Tina Turner, the Mad Max. Like, it's just going to be so bloodthirsty. Yeah. I think the world is going to look totally different. And then, like, with what happened in Kenya, how the earth just opened up. And it's separating and creating. There's, like, four countries. It's Tanzania, Tanzania. Kenya, and two more, and it's going to be their own island. Wow. But they say it's going to take a couple hundred years for it to actually separate and become an island. So right now it's just like in the movement. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it just slowly is going to start, you know, pulling separating off. and pulling off. Yeah. That's just 
kind of like how they tell us with California, how yeah. it will just kind of separate and, mm -hmm. and, and pull off. So Millie's putting in her two cents over there. Yeah, well. she doesn't like it either. That's what <laughs> she's saying. It's like, this is bullshit and we don't need this kind of crap in our life right now. No. I agree, Millie. I totally do. Yes. She's you like looking her. out the back window and sitting on her baby. She takes her big babies that she has <laughs> and then she puts them on the ground because she doesn't like to put her ass on the ground directly. She oh. likes to have something in between. I had a little gnome uh -huh. on the foot of my bed. Remember, I don't know if you saw them. And so she, with the paw, would just turn it down and sit down on it. <laughs> Like it was a little cushion for a little tushin. <laughs> she thinks she's like the queen of the of this world, and her little sweet ass is just and too good to be just, sitting up. Yeah, that was Saturday, and she was just sitting watching me, you know, work. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. If you want that as your your butt pillow, that's that's fine with me. <laughs> we love you, Mo. <laughs> she's adorable. She's so funny. Well, should we tackle part two of William yes. Bonin and whip this sucker it. out? Let's get to it. Okay, so we're going to talk about his um, first con uh, convictions. And what you're going to notice with this is that, uh, is that he, uh, he gets incarcerated and then he's released. Even though he makes stupid accusations like there will be no witnesses in that crime. He still, he gets, he gets incarcerated and he gets released. So he, that gives him more confidence. I yeah. Think. He's like, I can totally um, screw over. Um, yeah. yeah. So he's like, really Yeah, very calm. Oh. I mean, I think to be a serial killer, you have to be pretty damn calm. Um, so on November 17th, 1968, Bonin confronted 14-year-old Billy Jones in Arcadia, California at 9 p.m. Um, he was driving his mommy's white no. Chevrolet station wagon. Um, I just Mommy's, find that hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> I find that hilarious that he's driving his mom's car. But anyway, um, so he offered to take this uh, youth home, um, and then Billy attempted to flee the vehicle in response to Bonin's repeated questions regarding the homosexuality. Um, I do want to preface again that we do not condone murder, violence, um, or anything. We just want to give the facts and the wordage that this man uses is very offensive. They're not my words. Yeah, I just want you guys to know that I would not uh, do this. Yeah, yeah no. Um, so Bonin growled and squeezed Jones' genitals, 14 years old, before disclosing his sexual motive and parking behind a closed shopping center. Retrieving the youth from his vehicle and handcuffing him, Bonin choked him in the parking lot before threatening to murder and sodomize Jones if he did not comply with orders. Bonin ra uh, raped the minor as he pled for his life, knocking him unconscious during the assault. Jones was then deposited at a park bench by Bonin, who threatened to kill him if he reported the assault. Returning home, his mother promptly reported Bonin to the police. So... Um, he's already, you know, threatening, if you don't do what I like, then I'm going to kill you, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and then on November 26, 1968, at approximately 12 a.m., Bonin picked up 17-year-old hitchhiker John Treadwell of Torrance. Bonin began asking him about, and again, these are not my words, fags, and homosexuality before accelerating the vehicle and producing a handgun. When Bonin parked his mother's car in a secluded area, he raped the young man before threatening to kill him if he reported Bonin. Um, claiming he had friends who would aid in avenging him if he told the man um, of the assault. During the assault, Treadwell was bludgeoned with a tire iron. And back like in the 60s and 70s, didn't like the hippies and other people mm -hmm. say the man mm -hmm. like that was their their quote for the government. The and government the hitchhiking and stuff. was very, very common back then. Yeah, so it was easy to pick one up. Yeah, and it's crazy to me because it seems like the serial killers and stuff were more predominant during that time, or at mm -hmm. least more publicized. Mm -hmm. um, and I just it was such a different era. Mm -hmm. Like it's just totally crazy to me. Yeah. Um, on December 4th, 1968, it was reported to the Torrance Police Department by 17-year-old Alan Pruitt 
that a man with a medium-length dark hair and olive complexion had offered him a ride before deviating from the highway and handcuffing the boy, who was extensively sexually assaulted in the vehicle. While driving, the suspect became visibly angry before asking the minor whether he knew where homosexuals, if he knew there were homosexuals in this world and about homosexuality. Um, five weeks later, on January 1st, 1969, Bonin offered a ride to a 12-year-old, 12 years old, just a baby. Um, his name was Lawrence Bretman in Hermosa Park, uh, Hermosa Beach, California. Ignoring the boy's pleas to let him go, Bonin began threatening Bretman and parked north of Hawthorne Boulevard and Palos Verdes North, where he forced the child to orally copulate him molesting and robbing the boy under the threat of a pistol. He then threatened to kill this victim if he ever reported the incident. Um, on January 12th, at approximately 9 p.m., it was reported that Bonin had picked up 18-year-old hitchhiker Jesus Monge, Monge, Monge. Monge, asking him about homosexuality before offering him $20 to orally copulate him. When Mohe attempted to exit the vehicle, Bonin punched his stomach and chest before squeezing his genitals, handcuffing him and forcing Mohe to orally copulate him. During the assault, Bonin threatened Mohe, stating, I'll, I'll rip your nuts off if you don't cool it. This, this victim was also sodomized. Um, by this point, extensive efforts were being made by local police to locate a potential serial rapist that fit Bonin's description. On January 28, 1969, at 2.30 a.m., an El Segundo policewoman confronted Bonin, who had frightened 16-year-old runaway Timothy Wilson. Um, he had him present with him in the vehicle. Um, the officer noted Bonin's frantic state and similar profile to the rapist. She promptly searched him and retrieved handcuffs. During the arrest, Bonin repeatedly advised her to incarcerate him before sobbing and insisting he was not responsible for his actions. So she saved the boy. Yeah, she saved his life. And I just want to say, too, um, that I think what a heroic person to do that mm -hmm. because I would not have the cojones I think to do that by myself I would have called for backup yeah but in the same in the time she called for backup he could have easily fled mm -hmm. so I just view her as somebody who's very uh she was very strong and very courageous yeah, yeah. in in going about that on for his you know by for herself so Bonin was indicted on five accounts of kidnapping, four counts of sodomy, one count of oral copulation, and one count of child molestation against the five individuals he had abducted, abducted and assaulted, or in the case of the final youth, he had abducted, attempted to assault since the previous November. In each instance, Bonin had handcuffed or otherwise restrained his victim before forcibly engaging in sodomy, oral copulation, and methods of torture, which included bludgeoning about the head with the tire iron, choking one victim until he had hurt, neared unconsciousness, and the squeezing of two victims' testicles. In March of 1969, Bonin underwent two psychiatric examinations. He was determined to be a sexual psychopath who had little control over his impulses and showed signs of depression and inappropriate emotional responses. Yeah, he makes me sick. Initially denying yes. early childhood abuse, Bonin confessed to being fondled at the age of eight and suspected, suspecting he was molested on various occasions between nine and 12 years old. Um, I do want to say, like, there's people out there, like myself, who have been molested as a child. And they don't go to these extremes. No, they don't end up mm -mm, being no. So, yeah. So, um, it just—it's so disturbing, and I don't know. That's what attracts me to this. Like, what makes them, mm -hmm. you know, compared to others that go through the same, that don't turn out crazy, to the ones that do. Yeah. That's, like what? That's what. Because there's a lot of people that suffer what he did, 
And worse. And, and worse, and they turn, don't turn up being... No. So what makes them do it? So that's my thing. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, in May of 1969, Bonin recounted to a probation officer his recent stressful separation and admitted his guilt in molesting male youth. Although he has also expressed desire to start a family and become a pilot upon his release, which I think is just a facade. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just manipulation. Mm-hmm. Yep. Typical of a serial killer. Um, he also expressed a belief that his Vietnam service contributed to his criminal behavior, emphasizing his difficulties in seducing female partners since his return. In the final eval, he was found to be seriously lacking insight and responsibility for crimes committed since his childhood. Bonin pleaded guilty to molestation and forced oral copulation and was sentenced to the Atascadero State Hospital in June of 1969 as a mentally disordered sex offender, considered amiable to treatment, open Mm -hmm. to treatment. So, of course, again, it's just a mask. Um, and you'll see this mask come on and off throughout this whole thing. Yeah. Um, so Bonin arrived at the Atascadero um, State Hospital on June 17, 1969. He was subjected to a battery of psychiatric examinations, which revealed that he possessed a higher than average IQ of 121 and displayed traits of manic depression, sexual sadism disorder, and antisocial personality disorder. Hmm. Um, Though no other significant brain anomalies were present, a physical examination revealed extensive scars on Bonin's head and buttocks, which he claimed to have no memory of obtaining, but were likely sustained in the Franco-American orphanage by the nuns. The sweet little nuns, and he has a huge... IQ. Mm-hmm. Yep. A lo- all the serial killers, I think they come back and say their IQ is just... It's always high. That's yeah. That's so strange, you know? Mm-hmm. But I guess you got to have a, a IQ to come up with the stuff that they do. Like, yeah. That's insane. Like, my IQ is the same as a chipmunk. Yeah, I know. Mine's a squirrel, so we're in the same boat. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit yeah. higher than I mine. think they just get really bored. Yeah, and, and so they need to be look. challenged mm-hmm. and... Yeah. Oh, crazy. Yep. Um, let's see. So this lack of acknowledgement led experts to conclude Bonin repressed memories of more extreme aspects of his childhood abuse. These professionals also noted the psychological and emotional implication of Bonin's unhealthy relationship with his domineering mother, upon whom he remained emotionally dependent on in spite of her low opinion of him and who maintained her son was essentially worthless as a human being. So he idolized this woman. And that gave him no self-esteem. No. He, she, a horrible woman. Too. Yeah. Why have kids if you're going to be like this? If you're going to hate him that much. Mm-hmm. Um, so Bonin regularly attended group therapy sessions while incarcerated at the Atascadero site, at the at Atascadero. Psychiatrists noted his defensive, aggressive attitude toward other patients and refusal to acknowledge his homosexuality. In the presence of several patients, Bonin is known to have divulged his intentions to eliminate any future victims of his sexual assaults if he deemed necessary, and he was classified as an extreme sociopath with high probability of receiving this word is hard, recidivistic behavior. I don't know what that is. Under periods of psychotic breakdown. His extremely disturbed methods of social interaction were also viewed as hindering as his treatment. And yet uh, with all that, he gets released. Yep, he's gonna get, he's gonna get released. So despite this, Bonin willingly participated in experimental programs and was generally considered a nonviolent helpful and conscientious patient by staff, reciting what he perceived by, uh, wait, reciting what he perceived psychiatrists desired to hear from him, believing he could manipulate psychiatrists in granting him an early release. One psychiatrist even wrote a Bonin that he wanted to straighten himself out, but doesn't know how to go about it. He fooled him. He sure did. Mm Mm-hmm. 
On July 7, 1971, Bonin was sent to the California Medical Facility, having been declared unsuitable for further treatment due to repeated sexual engagement with inmates, two of whom were mentally challenged. Oh, disgusting. Mm-hmm. They're vulnerable. They're so vulnerable. Just like child. Mm-hmm. Um, but they did have a lot of strength because it did result in his um, being beaten on several occasions, um, in addition to alienating and irritating fellow patients. While in prison, Bonin was subject to further psychiatric examination, which dealt with hostility towards his father and older brother, further noting his sexual behaviors were compulsive in response to stress. He also sought to raise money for the family of another prisoner and reportedly applied willingly for at least one, treat, one treatment program. Bonin was released from uh, prison on June 11, 1974, after doctors concluded he was no longer a danger to the health and safety of others. Mm, really? Okay, guys, you need to get something to drink. Yeah, it's like... We got wine. <laughs> yeah, we have wine if you want Because it some. gets heavy. Yeah. It gets heavy, and believe me, you're going to need a drink. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so in July of 1974, Bonin rented an apartment in Hollywood with intentions of circulating within the gay, adult gay community, but was largely unsuccessful due to poor social skills and soon relocated to his parents' new house on 10282 Ingle Street in Downey, California, while briefly working as a bartender in Fountain Valley. Switching his job for employment as a truck driver at a Montebello delivery firm named Dependable Drive Away in December 1974, his employment was then terminated in February of 1975 for wrecking a trailer. In March 1975, Bonin attended community college classes following his termination and picked up hitchhikers for potential sexual partners, eventually establishing a serious relationship with a single mom. I can't imagine going to college and be seated next to him. That would just not be a dream come true for me at all. And date him. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Ugh. No. <laughs> but let's say I find out one of my ex-boyfriends were a serial killer. I'd be like, oh. Yeah. No, no, thank you. What? Just to think, wow, I was like involved with that person. God, no. So, well, sick. <laughs> I know, it would make me sick too. While cruising for young boys on September 8, 1975, at approximately 7 p.m., he encountered 14 year old David mm-hmm. Allen McVicker. So, the guy that we talked about in the first episode, um, episode the heroic young man, I think. That's and he was, and he was only 14, and so he was hitchhiking in the city of Garden Grove, um, and he accepted Bonin's offer to drive him to his parents' home in Huntington Beach. Shortly after Mick Vicker entered Bonin's Opel Cadet, he asked him whether he had engaged in homosexuality or was homosexual. McVicker replied that he had not, asking to leave the vehicle, prompting Bonin to accelerate the vehicle. So I think this is like his cue of okay, we're going to accelerate now. You know, it's kind of like his precursor to see if this is somebody he wants to. He wants to rape Mm -hmm. and kill. Um, When McVicker attempted to leave the car, Bonin produced a gun and drove McVicker to a deserted field, ordering McVicker to undress and then beating him. Bonin then forced uh, oral copulation on McVicker before raping him as he simultaneously strangled him with his T-shirt and a tire iron in the front seat of his car. With little breath left, McVicker pleaded for his life, stating, God help, um, which is just so heart-wrenching, like to think, you know, if you think about your own children and just pleading at the hands of a monster, please, please don't kill me. God help me do something. Yeah. Um, Bonin immediately ceased his assault and apologized before reverting to casual conversation. He then masturbated into a rag before driving McVicker to his home, stating on the way, you know what, you're an all right guy. I was gonna kill you, but I want to come back for you and use you again. Mm. 
And then as McVicker was leaving Bonin's vehicle, Bonin <sighs> further remarked, we'll meet again. So that's like the worst feeling ever. Like you've been victimized, but this is like a statement that makes you feel re-victimized over, over and over. Every day, every night he goes to bed. Mm-hmm. Yep. For the rest of his life, who knows? Yeah. And, you know, we talked about his uh, nightmares and stuff. I can totally feel that. Like, mm-hmm. it just, it's awful. Oh, that poor baby. Yeah. Here, cheers. You need a drink. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> So, um, McVicker got into his house. He cried several hours um, before calling a child abuse hotline. He then phoned his mother, who promptly informed Garden Grove Police of the incident. Bonin was arrested months later for the two assaults on October 11, 1975. When arrested, he informed law enforcement that next time there won't be any more witnesses. He was subsequently charged with the rape and forcible oral copulation of a minor and the attempted abduction of a 15-year-old boy two days after Bonin's assault on McVicker. This second victim rejected Bonin's offer of $35 for sex before exiting Bonin's van and telling him to leave. In response, he drove the van onto the sidewalk in an attempt to strike the victim. So he was just going to run him down. Because he said no. Uh Oh, my God. Bonin pleaded guilty to both charges, and on December 31st, 1975, he was sentenced to serve 1 and 15 years imprisonment at the California Men's Facility in San Luis Obispo. In 1977, Bonin was subject to further psychiatric examination. The results of this evaluation indicated his sexual involvement with young boys related to his mother's micromanagement of his life. In 1978, Bonin's father suffered a major stroke, presumably induced by his long-standing alcohol addiction, causing him to be hospitalized at the Long Beach Veterans Administration Hospital, where his mother worked as a vocational nurse. So the same thing with Ed Gein's dad mm-hmm. died the same way, and they were both married to overbearing... Mother. Yeah. Psycho mothers. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see... In prison, Bonin completed over 2,400 hours of vocational training as a machinist and secured employment showing significant progress in individual therapy sessions. As a result, Bonin was released from detention on October 11, 1978, albeit with eight, 18 months supervised probation. probation. Release again. Yep, so, and here, I mean, he had stated earlier you know, I'm not going to leave witnesses, but here he is, released again. Released again. I swear, we're going to be drunk and pass out from <laughs> by the end of this. How many times he's been released? <laughs> released. It's like it makes you want to <laughs> chug down the wine. And yeah, like, I know. Oh, for goodness Gosh. sake, what's wrong with these psychologists? On November 1st, 1978, Bonin moved to an apartment complex at the Kingswood Village Complex in Downey, located approximately one mile from his parents' house. He then became acquainted with a 43-year-old neighbor and ex-bank officer, Everett Scott Frazier. And I'm not sure I'd want that man as my bank officer after we learn a little bit more about him. Or neighbor. Yeah, no. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Um, Bonin became a regular attendee at Frazier's parties, held almost every night of the week for several months, um, where young men, drugs, and alcohol were presented. Frazier considered... Bonin, respectful, polite, and placid individual to whom he frequently introduced his young male acquaintances, with the two also exchanging stories of their homosexual exploits and penchant for sex with teenage boys. Mm. So I'm, I'm not, you know, homosexuality does not, it's just part of life. You know, you are who you are. Yeah, but the fact that. that it's with minors, mm-hmm. that's where the breakdown that's is. That's where it is, yep. The following month, Bonin established a relationship with a married mother. Wait, with a married mother. So is he like, she was married and so he's like an adulterer with her? Yep. Okay. Um, Having an affair with her. Yeah, and her name was Mary and she already, she she had a criminal record for child cruelty. So they were like two peas in a pod as far as I'm concerned. Uh Uh-huh, exactly. Um, 
And so the both of them would go to Anaheim on Sundays to partake in the hobby of roller skating, um, in addition to attending church services and bowling together. Um, you just don't know who's sitting on that pew next to you or anywhere for that matter, but I just, this is why I have a problem with organized religion and because yeah. I feel like they promote this kind of stuff. So it's sickening. Mm hmm. Um, Bonin also often spent time with her children, included them in these events. Months later, in April of 1979, Bonin's parole supervision um, ended. It came to a conclusion. Um, shortly thereafter, Bonin and his younger brother, Paul, who worked as a plumber, re relocated to the rural community of Silverado, California, and ran a neighborhood bar called the Alpine Inn. Um, and as the establishment was continually under scrutiny for noise violations, um, Bona did a reportedly lock a 16-year-old runaway in one of the rooms, threatening him um, he was going to take him to the hills and kill him by knife. Um, they were unable to obtain a permanent liquor license because of Bonin's criminal, criminal record. Mm -hmm. The business venture was short-lived. So on July 19, 1997... 1979, sorry, Bonin purchased a 1972 Ford E100 shorty van while still living in Silverado with his younger brother, whom he briefly worked for under his new plumbing business. So I remember those vans well. And um, we're going to introduce an accomplice now. And mm -hmm. this, is what, uh, this is what Bonin had to say of him. He said, I met Vernon Butts and I admired him. <laughs> Butts. Yep, I just, that last name just gets me every time oh I have to God, say it. Oh my God, how appropriate. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he had it all together, he says. Everybody liked him. It was cool having him like me. Made me feel real important. I never had no friends. And this is Bonin describing this acquaintance with Vernon Butts to a psychologist, Dr. Vonda Pelto. Mm. Uh, and Dr. Uh, Vernon Butts. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I feel oh bad God. that his, I, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I feel his last name <laughs> is awful, but um, let's see. So he became, um, Bonin became acquainted with Butts, um, and Butts was 21, year old, 21 years old. He worked at a porcelain factory. Um, he was an occultist and part-time magician, which just blows my mind. I just am like, this is why I don't trust like clowns or magicians, things or like that. Like that yeah. No, I feel like they're trying to hide something. Of course, and mm -hmm. they're targeting children. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and so he also met 18-year-old Gregory Matthews Miley, which we'll learn more later, later. Um, so Butts was born and raised in Norwalk. Um, he was nine when his father died, and he came from a broken home. Um, he was uh, described as shy and easily led. Um, he did try to commit suicide on like three different occasions before he met Bonin. Um, and he always had this obsession of death and witchcraft, which witchcraft, if it's done right, is not evil. Is not evil. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's see. At the time of his initial acquaintance with Bonin, Butts, an avid reader of horror fiction who frequently cosplayed as fictional characters, such as Darth Vader, Vader ruins Star Wars, <laughs> um, had developed a local reputation as an eccentric figure who adorned his apartment with novelty spiders and who kept two coffins in his apartment. Um, one was used as a phone booth. Gosh, that's really dating it yeah, back then. Yeah, fashionable. Mm -hmm. Gosh, that's really dating it. Um, and the other one was... An interior decorator. <laughs> uh -huh. I'm not calling him to do any kind of decorating. <laughs> Um, and then the other was a coffee table, which he openly admits he used to use that coffee table to make love to his girlfriend, Pam Caddy Rezu. Um, she was a self-proclaimed witch with whom he attended pagan religious rituals and visited graveyards. Paganism is not bad. It just depends on the contents and who's utilizing that. The little bit that I know about paganism is that they don't have a religious belief. They believe on Mother Earth and anything that is like herbs, 
magical mm -hmm. uh, animals, but it's not like a religion based, like they don't believe in God. As no, they have multiple gods that mm -hmm. they believe in and yeah. stuff. Um, Butts also held suspicion that his apartment was haunted by ghosts and had recently been fired from his employment as a magic store clerk at Knott's Berry Farm. Love Knott's Berry Farm. Um, due to his unkempt appearance and increasingly strange and unpredictab unpredictable behavior. Um, so he then had to turn to other things, so he started doing magic acts at school privately for small groups and for children's parties in which he would charge $30 a show mm. to perform for audiences. Um, so he did, he was uh, through his life um, perceived as a drifter. He had been in and out of penal institutions. Um, he just, he later was, you know, in trouble for like um, sadistic activity. Um, and he was very enamored with Bonin, but also very terrified of him. Um, Bonin held Butts in high regard for his social popularity and for empowering him, describing the young man as very intelligent. Although both lived externally heterosexual lifestyles, the two soon became lovers with Butts, um, also introducing Bonin to the tabletop role-playing game Dungeons and Dragons. Mm. which my oldest plays and I, my first boyfriend played, but I think this is where Dungeons and Dragons got a bad name for itself oh. is because of this incident. Mm. Um, he also held mystery parties, which can be fun if you don't do it crazy um, and would do like scavenger hunts in the city and stuff, which I think is cool. I used oh. to do that too. And it was fun. So their mystery parties are like, Oh, let's find my latest victim's mom. Yes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> right. And let me drive my mom's car all over while we look. Yeah. <laughs> let's go in my mommy's car. I and know. Find his balls. <laughs> I know. Right. 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 Um, so we're going to start getting into the murders and it does get kind of have more heavy from this Very point heavy. on. Get your drink or skip. Yeah. The details. Yeah, it does get heavy. It gets really heavy. And again, these are words of Ed Bonin, or William Bonin, not me. Um, so things that I say, it's because of things that he has said. I'm just quoting. So Bonin usually selected young male hitchhikers, schoolboys, or occasionally male prostitutes as his victims. The victims um, were aged 12 to 19, um, were predominantly ca Caucasian or Latino, slender, Pale, long-haired youths whom he either enticed or forced into his Ford Econoline van, where they were overpowered and bound hand and foot with a combination of handcuffs and wire or cords. And I think this is where that saying of, um, like, Chester the Molester van, you know, because... Oh, yeah, that's probably his. <laughs> yeah, that's probably where that came from. <laughs> I saw on TV once, I can't remember where... There was a serial killer's van mm. from the 70s that someone had bought in an auction and he had it in display. But I don't know if it's this guy's. I would never do that. I mean, we talked about that in Ed Gein too when they bought mm -hmm. things at the auction mm -hmm. and the foul play and things that started happening to their family. And he was going to exhibit and it had the tools. Mm -hmm. It even had like blood spatters and everything. Like he had bought the van like that. I'm like, no, what? that van has bad juju. Why would you do that? Yeah. I think it was on Ghost Adventures or something like that. Yeah, no. They were investigating. Mm, yeah. Like, oh, no. Um, so once they got him in the van and got them bound, um, then they were sexually assaulted, extensively beaten about the face, torso, head, and genitals, and tortured before typically being killed by strangulation with their own t-shirts and a tire iron, while letting them fade in and out of consciousness. Although some victims were stabbed or battered to death, one victim, Darren Kendrick, was forced to drink hydrochloric acid, um, that would be so painful. Like, because yes. your insides would just it's start, like, like, deteriorating. Deteriorating, yeah, dissolving. Um, three victims had ice picks driven into their ears, and another victim, Mark Shelton, died of shock from impaling. I just, I, this is just the worst form of, like, torture. And to come up with those things to do to, to another do it, like, human. That's, 
that's what is so mm-hmm. mind-boggling. How do you come up with this? Yeah, how do you even think of something like that? Um, <sighs> so according to one attorney present throughout Bonin's subsequent confessions, the escalating levels of brutality he had exhibited mm-hmm. towards his victims had been similar to that of a drug in addict mm-hmm. requiring an ever greater increase of dosage to attain a satisfactory level of euphoria. Bonin himself later likened his homicidal urges to that of an addiction. He wanted more and he needed to escalate. And you have to do more and more to, for mm-hmm. it to become more satisfying. Um, so the basic, like, tie them up and strangle them, that was and just... squeezing the balls isn't enough anymore. Nuh-uh. No. No. Um, he would ex- had a, uh, he would feel an intense sense of excitement as he drove around looking for his victims. Um, he would reserve Sundays for his girlfriend. He typically cruised the freeways on Fridays and Saturdays. Bonin, he had a schedule. I know, right? A scheduled serial killer. <laughs> Jeez. At least he was organized. Um, <laughs> Bonin also later described his feeling pleasure at hearing his victims scream, as well as sodomizing his victims, particularly in an upright position without lubricant, mm-hmm. causing them to regularly breed and tear. So, I mean, as a 50-plus-year-old woman, and I know that I need lubricant if I ever do engage in sexual activity again in my life, I can't imagine how painful that would be in your butthole. Yeah. Without I've, some kind of lubricant. Mm-hmm. And to sit Especially straight like, up, that's like... And these are kids that probably have never... No, they've never had sex, sex or anything. They have no idea. Um, let's see. So in order to minimize the chances of a potential victim escaping from his vehicle, Bonin removed all inner handles from the passenger side and rear doors of his van. He also stowed ligatures, knives, pliers, and wire coat hangers and other such instruments in his vehicle to facilitate the restraining and torture of his victims. The victims were usually killed inside his van before their bodies were discarded along or close to various freeways in Southern California. In an apparent effort to avoid investigators connecting his crimes, Bonin often drove to various counties to discard his victims' bodies far from the site of their abduction. Dr. Albert Rosenstein, a forensic psychologist, predicted their killer was an intelligent sex offender in his late 20s or early 30s, had spent time in a psychiatric facility, was abused as a child, and that while bisexual, the killer has never become comfortable with the homosexual side of his personality um, and is repulsed by his actions. As is, as is evidenced by the gruesome mutilations of his victims. So... He described it. He did. I mean, he was spot on. Spot on, yeah. Spot Holy on with that. Hell. Um, in a minimum of 12 of the murders, Bonin, who considered murder a group sport, was assisted by one or more of his four known accomplices. Um, he would scrap, do scrapbooking, newspaper clippings of his murders. Um, he would later hold up newspapers to, um, um, yeah, he held up the newspapers so that he could show Vernon Butts and Everett Frazier, hey, look what I did, you know. Um, but when it came to, like, acquaintances and stuff, he didn't want to, you know, he didn't want to say, yeah, I did these. But he would say, oh, yeah, look, you know, he did it again. They found another one, another strangled victim. Um, and so he was getting off. On, on it, yeah, big time. Um, now we're going to talk about the first murder. So the first murder for which Bonin was charged was that of a 13-year-old boy um, named Thomas Glenn Lundgren. Lundgren was last seen, uh, seen leaving his parents' house in Reseda at 10.50 a.m. on May 28, 1979. Shortly before his abduction, Lundgren had reportedly told friends a man had offered to meet him at a skate park to take photos of him for a skateboarding magazine. Again, this falls back onto human trafficking because this is what they promise. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to make you famous. I'm Mm -hmm. going to make sure you have lots of things. Mm -hmm. Um, So just really watch for that. So 
Later on, his body um, was found clad only in a t-shirt, shoes, and socks. Um, he was found that same afternoon in Agora. An autopsy revealed that Lundgren had suffered emasculation and extensive bludgeoning from an object like a tire jack handle to his face and head, with his skull sustaining multiple fractures. In addition, the youth had been slashed across the throat, extensively stabbed about the chest and stomach, and strangled to death. His underwear, jeans, and severed genitals, bearing several bite marks, were discovered strewn in a field close to his body. An expert later postulated that Bonin's brutality was likely an attempt to kill his homosexual attraction to Lundgren further, silencing his desire with each subsequent stabbing. In, uh, in the abduction and murder of Lundgren, Bonin was assisted by Butts, who is suspected of accompanying or assisting Bonin on at least eight further murders attributed to the freeway killer. So we'll get in, dive into the next, the rest of the murders here. And you're going to see, it's just going to be like, bam, bam, bam. He's not like wasting time in between anymore. It's just like, here we go. One after another. Yeah. Like so domino effect. Uh-huh. <gasps> he just gets hungry and hungrier for it. So on August 4th, 1979, Bonin drove from Silverado Canyon to drive-in movie theater, um, to a drive-in movie theater theater to spend time with Butts in Westminster. He soon suggested that they rape and murder a teenage hitch hitchhiker. Butts was amiable to the suggestion and Bonin's offered 17-year-old Mark Shelton $400 for sexual services shortly after the youth left his house to walk to a movie uh, theater near Beach Boulevard. According to Bonin, he masturbated Shelton before Butts began squeezing his genitals prompting the boy to scream. As Bonin drove into the Cajon Pass in San Bernardino County, um, and just to kind of give you guys like a, a, a time, like a distance here, um, Beach Boulevard to the, San, uh, to the Cajon Pass in San Bernardino uh, uh, County, that is not close. Like it's, oh. a, it's at least, I wanna say an hour and a half, maybe two hours. So oh. they were torturing him for a long time. For that. Mm -hmm. Amount of time that's insane. Butts entertained the boy with magic tricks. Oh, Way nice. to go, Butts. Um, before orally copulating him. Reaching in an abandoned gas station, Bonin parked the vehicle and coerced Shelton to orally copulate him and endure rape. Enraged with Shelton's fear and resistance, Bonin immediately beat youth, the youth, squeezing his genitals and driving his knee into his face until he lost consciousness. Shelton was then twice strangled over a 15-minute period with Butts' assistance. He was so violated with foreign objects, indicating, including a stick, mm. causing his body to enter a state of shock, which provided fatal before being discarded um, aside, beside a gravel road in the Cajon Pass of San Bernardino County. Oh, my God. Um, the very next so this day... this is where they start killing. Oh, yeah. And, the, and it's like the very next day. The very next day, they came across a 17-year-old oh. West German student, Marcus Grabs, um, between 6 p.m. and 10 p.m., attempting to hitchhike from the Pacific Coast Highway. So these guys are bouncing, like, I don't know, for those of you that are from Cali or have gone there, they're bouncing all over the place because Pacific Coast Highway to San Bernardino County, it's, again, these are, like, not drives that are, like, 15, 20 minutes apart. These are, like, hours in between. So they're just going all over, all over the place. Um, so according to Bonin, he engaged in consensual relations with the youth who agreed to be, who agreed to be bound in, um, with lengths of cord and ignition wire. Bonin, Bonin then retrieved a buck knife, proceeding to intimidate grabs as Butts drove toward Bonin's home where the youth was again sodomized and beaten. When Bonin began squeezing his genitals during the rape, uh, Grabs reportedly broke loose and punched his assailant, causing Bonin um, to repeatedly stab him for an extensive period. Grabs was partially strangled and revealed to have been stabbed a total of 77 times. How brutal. That's a hell of a lot of rage right there. Oh my God. 
Um, so again, experts are saying, you know, he's trying to attempt to kill his homosexuality within and himself. And kill himself. Mm-hmm. Stab yourself 77 times. There you times. go. I know, please. Um, so before they discovered his a new body, um, it was discarded in Malibu Creek, which is close to Las uh, Virgenes Canyon Road. Las Virgenes, uh, which stands for the Virgins Road. I know, which I think that a lot of these guys, I mean, they were virgins, and then to be discarded by one, a street by that name yeah, is just it's ironic. just weird. Um, his body was found at approximately 6.30 a.m., the following day, with one investigator likening the network of injuries inflicted upon the victim of that of a rabid dog, mm-hmm. unable to determine when to cease biting. So, a dog with rabies. Yeah, just like bit his balls. Biting, biting, biting. It's just. Well, they probably. That's even more rage to me. Because they don't have the mind to think of a human possibly doing that. Yeah, and I think like these guys, they just start seeing red and they're like. Just, they can't stop themselves. Uh They just can't stop. It's insane. Um, On August 9th, 1979, here we go again, Bonin was detained for molesting a 17-year-old boy in the coastal community of Dana Point. This violation of the conditions of his parole should have resulted in Bonin being returned to prison. However, an an administrative error committed um, prior to Bonin's... um, Let's see, yeah, Tabonin's scheduled court date resulted in his release because there was an administrative error. He was, again, released. Um, on August 13th, 1979, Frazier drove to collect Bonin from the Orange, Orange County Jail where he had been incarcerated. He later recollected that as he drove Bonin um, home, Bonin made a statement which Frazier, Frazier had interpreted at the time as an, expre- as an expression of remorse. But it's not. He mm-hmm. says, no one's going to testify again. This is never going to happen to me again. Resuming, so again, here he is saying. I'm going to make sure no one's yeah. alive to do that. That's yeah. what he means. Yes. I'm going to make there's sure no I remorse. kill him. Go. That's no remorse. That's like pissed off that, you he, know, he I'm making caught. mistakes and I'm not going to do that again. Yeah. Yep. So, resuming his murder spree, Bonin did not um, bother to appear for his court appointment. By this period, Bonin had also returned to his parents' house, where he gradually developed a reputation as a child molester among local residents. Due um, to his habit of inviting young boys into the household, Um, here's the grabber. Occasionally, as his mother and younger brother and others were present, under the guise of providing free alcohol and viewing pornography with them. Um, and not only was the mom and brother there and others, the neighbors could hear screaming and crying, and yet nobody did it. Oh, my God. Nobody did anything. It, that's what pisses me off, is that nobody did anything to help these people. Not even the mom. No, because she's a twisted human being in her own right. Um, on August 20th, 1979, Bonin picked up 18-year-old Robert uh, Wirestick, who was cycling to a grocery store in Newport Beach. Before Bonin allegedly co- um, coerced him by offering him $50 to perform acts of um, oral copulation, he then bound and raped the boy at knife point before driving to Butts' residence. While driving on Interstate 10, Butts orally copulated the youth before repeatedly striking him and taking Bonin's place behind the wheel, mm-hmm. who then tortured Wirestack by bending his fingers and squeezing oh. his genitals before um, extensively bludgeoning him with a tire and iron and strangling him with his t-shirt and a tire and iron. The young man's body was found on August 27th along Interstate 10. It's almost three days later. Yeah, in Interstate 10, here we are again. This is a huge stretch of highway um, that runs all along California. And the miles, again, it's just, it's mind-blowing to me. It's just, he was driving hundreds of miles mm-hmm. for this. So, And that whole time, they're both taking turns. Yes, yes. Um, on August 27th, so seven days later, Bonin and Butts abducted a 15-year-old Hollywood youth, Donald Ray Hyden, 
at approximately 1 a.m. on Santa Monica Boulevard. Santa Monica Boulevard is in L.A. and Santa Monica, but um, it is known for prostitution along that boulevard. Um, So to reach the youth, and this is just mind-blowing to me, to reach the youth, Bonin recklessly crossed two lanes in the presence of police. How cocky is he? And why didn't the police, like, pull him over for driving erratically? That's like, insane. I don't understand That's why that. he feels so empowered and, like, nothing's going to happen to me. Yeah. And Butts was in the back of the um, van, and he was pretending to be asleep, but he got kind of tossed around, and he just laughed about it. Um, so fearful of Butts. So Bonin also has some fear against Butts as well. Um, Bonin reassured Haydn and offered him $50 for sexual services. Soon engaging in consensual intercourse as Butts drove the van. When Butts made an accidental wrong turn, the youth became frantic, causing Bonin to extensively beat and bind the victim before torturing his genitals and sodomizing him. Mm. Butts then threatened Haydn, stating um, that he had entered the death van. Mm. And when someone enters, they don't go out alive. Oh, my God. That's Mm -hmm. terrible. Yeah. To be that his last thought. Yeah. Again, Chester, the molester van, man. Whenever I see those vans with no windows or anything, I'm like, stay away from there. Yeah. Um, Mm. So let's see. Promising to leave him unconscious somewhere, Bonin informed the boy he was to be killed while strangling him with a bandana and tire iron. Allegedly, Butts orally copulated Haydn's corpse, so he was dead, before the pair dumped the body at a construction site near the Ventura Freeway to be discovered hours later. Prior to his death by ligature strangulation, Haydn had been found beaten um, about the face, sodomized and stabbed in the neck and genitalia, um, and bludgeoned about the skull. Evident attempts had been made to remove his testicles and slash his throat, Mm. and his rectum was found bleeding and extensively distended, leading a coroner to um, just uh, speculate that he had been impaled by a large object. That's what had caused that. Um, Could that have been, though? So big. Yeah. Like a tube or something. Mm -hmm. Or like a a rod. I picture like an iron rod, maybe, or... Yeah. That's worse than going to the proctologist. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I can't. Oh, my God. Yeah, these boys, they suffered so much. I I think I would be begging to shoot me or just kill me at this, you know. Yeah, give me a life like this. Yeah. Um, On September 9th, 1979, Bonin encountered a 17-year-old La Miranda youth, David Luis Murillo, cycling to a movie theater. After entering the van, Bonin offered him money for sex, which was refused. He then attempted to fondle Murillo before binding him and driving to Butts' residence. As Butts drove, Bonin forced the boy to orally copulate him before squeezing his genitals and Mm -hmm. sodomizing him. He then traded places with Butts, who orally copulated and beat Murillo before squeezing his genitals in frustration at the youth's lack of sexual excitement. They then parked the vehicle at a secluded spot where he was bound, repeatedly raped by Bonin and Butts, extensively bludgeoned about the chest, neck, and skull with a tire iron, then strangled with literature uh, before his nude body was thrown out of the van and over an embankment into a bed of ivy along um, Highway 101. His, new, his nude body was discovered on September 12, 1979, Following this incident, Butts reportedly began exhibiting extremely bizarre behavior, at one point putting an axe blade to a close friend's throat and stating, I'd like to see your blood gush out and hear your screams. Oh my God. So that's where we're going to kind of end for two, because I need a break from this psychopsychotic bit. Next, we're going to talk about more murders and get to the trial and it you know, and end Bonin's death. So, um, yeah, I have to say, even as I've read other serial killers now, um, he is probably one of the worst I have ever even, and I knew briefly or a little bit about him, like, growing up because I grew up there, 
but to actually delve into his life and this shit, yeah, it's disturbing on so many levels. So let's do a palate cleanser. Please, please. (laughs) (laughs) From the Shaman's Dream Oracle, and it's number 35, Lost Compass, which is just getting back to your integrity, finding the way home and trusting your intuition. So when this card appears, it is about um, trusting your intuition, trusting that gut feeling, um, finding your way back to peace and comfort, your home, whatever that home looks like. Sometimes our home is actually like our our mind castle where we go to meditate and to um, focus on life and to try to get back into sync with Mother Earth. And so that may be it. You can create a home space no matter where you live or your Mm -hmm. circumstances. Um, So for this week, really, really trust your intuition. Listen to your gut um, because it could save you from who knows what. I mean, as we've witnessed, you know, read about this guy, you know. So, yeah. But stay safe, guys. Stay safe, for sure. Be smart. Be vigilant. Mm -hmm. Um, We can't trust anybody anymore especially no. nowadays no so just be safe be careful yeah and thanks for listening to us yes uh, thank you next episode uh have everyone a good night and bye, bye. bye.